This is the Horse Radio Network. This is episode 12 of Horsemanship Radio, brought to you by Index Fund Advisors, IFA.com. Horsemanship Radio is part of the family of the Horse Radio Network. Our guests today have many years of horsemanship behind them, and they're icons in the work that women are doing in blazing trails in the horse industry. This is Debbie Laux, and you're listening to Horsemanship Radio. Welcome back, everyone. Horsemanship Radio airs on the 15th and the 30th of the month, and I have my producer, Jen, with me today. (laughs) Glenn the Geek is on the road. So, Jen Hebert, welcome. Thank you very much. You got the B team today. Oh, no, 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 no. I've been waiting for the A team for months. (laughs) (laughs) Well, and, and I am... A producer here at the Horse Radio Network, more so than an on-air personality like Glenn, so you probably won't hear me chit-chat as much, but I'm very excited to be able to sit in on this and uh, hear what... I've, I've met, met Debbie, and I've heard Debbie before, but I'm, she is always up to something really clever. So I'm really looking yeah. forward to, to uh, the interview with Debbie. And Audrey Griffin, I am such an admirer of so many of the ladies who are in the Calgary Hall of Fame. That's going to be an interesting conversation. Yes, they both have really interesting stories. I'm going to try to eke some new ones out of them as well, but um, they're really fun to talk to. I think everybody will enjoy. Um, My goodness, between them, they must have at least 100 years of horse experience, so I think we'll learn something today, Jen. Always do on Horsemanship Radio. We do. Our first guest today shares the passion that every superhero shares, and that's to help those in need and to see that justice is done for horses and their owners, and that's Debbie Metcalf. She started this with a passion because she lost her own horse, and to me, she wears a a big red S on her chest because she does create a lot of happy endings for a lot of horse owners and their horses, too. Hi, I'm Mark Hebner, president of Index Fund Advisors and proud owner of Monty Roberts Willing Partners graduate, He's a Sugar Bear. (laughs) You know, investment portfolios are a lot like horses. You need to find one that best suits you, your temperament and your stage of life. Some people might like an energetic horse and an aggressive investment portfolio, while others are more comfortable with a gentle ride and a more conservative investment portfolio. The trick is to find the one that's right for you. That's what Index Fund Advisors is all about, matching people with portfolios, risk-appropriate, low-cost, and globally diversified investment portfolios. You can find the right portfolio for you by taking the Risk Capacity Survey at ifa.com. That's IFA as an Index Fund Advisors. Or you can call us toll-free at 888-643-3133. That's 888-643-3133. Horsewoman Debbie Metcalf started the nonprofit Stolen Horse International because there was no help for her when her horse, Idaho, was stolen in 1997. And now she's dedicated to helping families who have missing horses, too. She has appeared on television and various radio programs in newspaper and magazine articles and authored the book Horse Theft. 
been there, done that. Through the efforts of Debbie and the Net Posse Volunteer Network, not only have many horses and their owners been reunited, but many more missing horse situations have been prevented. She's a great educator. Welcome, Debbie Metcalf. I'm glad to be here, Debbie. I'm glad to have you on. I know you're a veteran of the radio and TV talk shows and the, uh, oh gosh, the trade shows. I have met you around the world, I think, at least around the United States quite a (laughs) bit. You get around, don't you? I do, more than I ever thought I would. I love your passion, Debbie, for what you're doing. And, uh, you know, it's recognized as a unique um, service that you've got going out there. And you've done this for a lot of years. And I just want to be the first one to say thank you today for everything that you do and you get up in the morning for. Oh, thank you, Debbie. That's so sweet. Uh, I get up every day ready to go. I can't think I've ever had a job that's so rewarding as well, this you, one. That's wonderful. You, you know, I call you, I, I probably this is, this is old news, but I call you, you know, the America's most wanted John Walsh of horses. <laughs> is, that, is that appropriate? That that's pretty much appropriate because we both took bad things that happened to us and turned them into something that works for other people. So Debbie, you were raised with horses. Is that what created this passion? I know you started the organization from a loss of a horse, but have you always had horses? No, I never had horses. I was a, a child growing up watching Fury and Flicka on TV, and always wanted them. Uh, when I was ten years old. I got the closest I was ever going to get to getting one, and I thought for my 10th birthday that I was going to get a pony, and oh, I was so excited, and on my 10th birthday, my parents walked in with a chihuahua. Oh, a <laughs> With a chihuahua. You know what I named the chihuahua, though? Flicka? No. No. Trigger. <laughs> okay, there you go. <laughs> <laughs> that chihuahua lived a long time. She lived, I think, 19 years. Oh, bless your heart. Did you put saddles on her or anything like that? I put everything on that dog. (laughs) (laughs) I slept with her. I rolled her around in baby carriages. You know, that was back when kids really played. Oh, yeah. dressed her up. I mean, she rode my Barbie dolls. I mean, she wasn't a horse, but I didn't get my first horse until I was an adult. And I really wasn't planning on getting that one because then I'd grown up and I had children and and thought that um, that I should probably not be riding horses because I was a commission-based insurance agent. Huh. And if I got hurt, I couldn't make a living. Mm-hmm. But my husband took me to see this horse that was kind of poor and needed it was in need of rescue. And he came home with us. And that's how we got our first horse. So how did you learn to take care of a horse? Where did, where did you get your experience from then at that point? Well, my husband grew up on a farm, mm-hmm. so he knew. Um, of course, I'd been around barns, and uh, pretty much my teen life, I was around barns a lot and fed horses, cleaned up after them, so I knew how to do all that. Mm-hmm. And he had farmed all his life, young life, you know, before he worked as a teacher, went off to college and did all that. They used to pick cotton. So they had they had plow horses and plow mules. So taking care of them was not a problem because he already knew how. And we had plenty of pasture and pl- plenty of gra- grass, and we had running water. So for us, it was pretty easy. 
Good. So that's where you're developing your real love of horses now. Now the reality has set in and you and you're taking care of them. Not a chihuahua anymore. <laughs> Not a chihuahua anymore. Yeah, they're the, with the snow they were all out there, you know, in the barn. Mm-hmm. Finally decided to come in out of the snow, so it was nice to see that cuz usually they'll stand out in the weather with mm-hmm. icicles on them. You know, we give them a choice and they all came in this time. You know, that's interesting because I'm down here in Southern California, and uh, the coldest it gets is uh, it doesn't freeze. So it doesn't get very cold here. <laughs> and, and I have people literally in a panic to get their horses inside because they think it's going to be too cold that night for their horses. And they don't believe the horses can stand out in the rain or want to be in the cold. What can you tell us about that for real? Well, when we got our first horse, Dusty, we have a 50-acre farm. And most of it uh, has grass. Mm-hmm. So we had one horse on standing in a field that was 25 acres. And winter was coming, and I was beginning to think, oh, my, you know, this is going to be terrible. We don't have a shed in this pasture for him to go under. We did in another, uh, but not that one. And the vet was standing there. We had this old, old-time cranky vet that had you know, lived around here, just lived around the corner. And he was the guy that everybody went to. You know, we had the, the new new age vets, and then we had the old country vet. But he was the one that really knew everything. And so he's standing up at the top of our pasture with us, and uh, I'll never forget what he told me because I'm standing there going, you know, I just don't know what we're going to do. I don't think we can get a, a, a what running up fast enough. And he said, well, let me tell you something. Hmm. He said, you've got natural windbreaks, you've got water, you've got everything, and you've got food. Everything this horse needs is in this pasture. Nice. But he said, when it rains, you make sure you put take that horse across and put him in the barn. When it snows, you do the same thing. When it sleeps, you do the same thing. And don't forget those blankets. He said, and then get your checkbook out. And I said, why? He said, because you're going to be writing checks to me. To, because your horse is going to be sick. He said, Debbie, how do you think the horses took care of themselves before we came along? Right. And I thought about that a little bit. And even though, you know, we do feed, and it, our horses are pretty much open range. You know, we check them, we make sure they get what they want or what they need, but they're happy in, in any kind of weather except mm-hmm. for heat. They don't like right. the heat. And they'll come in. They'll come into the barn to get out of the heat, but they'll stand beside the barn with icicles on them in the wintertime. And there you go. Mm-hmm. So it's their choice. I, I've always given them some credit for knowing what's best for them. But you know, I know there's some people that's going to disagree with this. So let me say we're not doing anything with our horses that requires, uh, you know, a lot of care. Mm-hmm. You know, they're just trail horses. Mm-hmm. And most of them are retired anyway. But as a trail horse, you don't have to keep them all neat and clean and, you know, trimmed up. Yeah, very good. No, that's, I think that's good advice. Just look back to nature, to where they came from and what they like living in. And then given a choice, I think, is, is brilliant. I love that. It is. And, you know, of course, Idaho now, she's, she's got special needs, so we make sure she gets the special food. And that's and, your horse that was stolen originally. Hmm? Yes. And you know, mm-hmm. she's... Uh, we almost lost her last year, mm. so she's been on a special diet ever since. And so, you know, if they need something, we make sure they get it. Nice. Great. 
Well, I want to know a little bit more about the situation of having a horse stolen or finding a stolen horse. You're the expert here, and and I think this is what people would want me to ask you is, you know, if if what's the first thing a person should do if they haven't taken preventative measures to chip their horse? I know you're going to be an advocate of that. I want to hear about that, but they find it missing. They go in the barn; it's not there. The field is they're gone. What's the first thing a person should do? Well, of course, you check your your fields first, uh, and you check them high and low because they can get themselves in, into quite some predicaments sometimes. Mm. But the first thing you do is call law enforcement, and you file a report. Uh, if you're sure that it's stolen, you know, based on some evidence there, then you immediately file a stolen horse report. That's really important. You want that case number because it can help you out uh, down the line when you find your horse. You know, as long as you've got a theft, then law enforcement can help you. But if you haven't reported the horse, and there's not a lot they can do, they'll probably turn it over to as a civil case. Mm-hmm. All right, and, and if you don't report it and you do find your horse, the first question is, why didn't you report it? And it, you know, it kind of throws up red flags as to maybe something else was going on and it wasn't stolen in the first place. But after you call law enforcement, you file a report with us. Immediately, even before you go to Facebook, file a report with us so we can get the information up for you. We've got the tools that are so easy to use right here. And by using a link from netposse.com, when you post on social media, it automatically pops up a picture. And people can click on that link and all the details are in one place. And then we can update as, you know, the case evolves. And then when, you know, once a link is out there, you can't pull it back. It's gone. Mm-hmm. So if somebody six months from now clicks on that link and they come back to that page and the horse has been recovered, then they see that. Yeah. But if you just start posting things everywhere with no connection, one center, then uh, you wouldn't be, you'd be surprised how many times people repost horses that have been found. Oh, that makes good sense. I hadn't thought about that. So good. So one clearinghouse, kind of like we should have for a lot of things nationally too, but I'm glad you did it. So now I'm thinking about the person that has either found a horse or recovered their own horse. What's a prescribed procedure? What, what should they be thinking? What should they be doing? Should they have the vet check them? What, what do you see next? Okay. It depends. You're talking about they found they missed their own missing horse. Or they found, found or they or they just found a horse. I, let's take one at a time. Uh, let's let's say they found their horse. Okay, they've they found their horse. Well, it depends first on the circumstances. If the horse is just missing, uh, and somebody has it, hopefully they've got some type of ID to prove that it's their horse, and they go get it. That's not a problem usually. Uh, now, if this was a civil situation where the horse went missing, that gets a little tricky. Um, Law enforcement generally is not going to help you with that. And sometimes, even after you find your horse, it's, you have to prove it's your horse and you have to prove the circumstances of how the horse went missing mm-hmm. and why it is your horse. So that's, you know, you're probably going to need an attorney for that. Okay. <laughs> but this, this sounds like maybe a divorce that's a little hostile maybe or something. Well, no, it could be yeah. something, let's say... Um, Let's say you're bored. Let's make me the the bad guy here. Okay. You've got your horse boarded at our stables. Uh-huh. And you told me three weeks ago that you decided that you weren't real happy with the way things were happening here, so you were going to move your horse. 
Okay. Well, I don't like you anyway. So I decide that you're not getting your horse back. Uh-huh. So when you come to pick up your horse, I tell you, you, you owe me money. Mm-hmm. And you've been paying me in cash. Mm-hmm. So how can you get your horse? Can you just take it? Mm-hmm. No, you can't because you're on somebody you else's property. Oh, yeah. That I can tell you to get off of my property, and you can't legally can't take that horse with you. You can call law enforcement, mm-hmm. and they're going to come out, and they're going to listen to both sides, and then they're going to ask for some type of proof of claim. And if you don't have that, then most likely the horse is going to stay where it is, and you end up going to court. Mm-hmm. We see this a lot, a whole okay. lot. Uh, we see horses going missing in transport. We just dealt with one of those. Um, it's, there's just bad sales agreements. Mm-hmm. Oh, and we had one this month that was just kind of blew me away. I thought I'd seen it all and heard it all. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, this was a sale. started out as a sale to one person who paid for the horse the way they, they were supposed to. The horse was shipped after the final payment to another state. Mm-hmm. So once the horse got there, the person who bought the horse decided she couldn't handle the horse. So rather than just leave it where it was with no no care, she called the person that bought the she that she bought the horse from, and told her she was giving the horse back to her. Mm-hmm. And she signed it over in a written document to this person. All sounds good, right? Yeah. <laughs> okay. So then the person who sold her the horse calls the person at the barn who's boarding the horse and has been paid through the whole month. And that person decides that they're not going to let the horse go. Uh What legal right did she have to do that? None. None. It's just that I can. I can do this. Mm -hmm. I can do this because you're in another state and what are you going to do about it? Mm -hmm. And she, well, I tell you what they did about it. The horse disappeared from that barn. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, the woman, I'm sure, I haven't talked to the woman at all, but I heard that she went out to feed the horses and the horse was just gone. Mm-hmm. And somehow it ended up back with the owner. Wow. You do so, have to deal with people. You deal with people more than horses then. I deal with, I, yes, I do. Yeah. People more than horses. I rarely get to see the horses that we work with. But that is such a treat when we do. Oh, okay. To be able to to put my hands on a horse that it's home because of something we did or the people that work with us. And we can't do this without people like y'all. You know, this is a total volunteer organization, and it depends on the kindness of strangers totally mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. to bring these horses home. Yeah, you must have some great stories. Do you, do you uh, know, I wonder if, well... I want to have you back to hear some of the great stories, too, because I, I just love hope and I love, uh, you know, overcomer stories, too. But one thing I was wondering about is after a horse has been recovered, you, you get your horse back. Have you noticed or have you have the owners tell you that the relationship between the horse and owner has changed at all? Is there less trust, more appreciation, anything like that in the relationship? Oh, that's a really good question. And it's it's got different answers, but I can tell you my own personal answer, and this is what we see across the board for the most part. Mm-hmm. You know, when Idaho, when we had Idaho, she, we had her for nine years. And then one morning, poof, she was gone. Mm-hmm. 
and she was gone for 51 weeks. And we didn't know if she would remember us. And part of what we, you know, kept going through our mind the whole time she was gone was what was she thinking? Uh, did she think we just dumped her into this person's arms? Because we called her a thief. And we knew some of the things that had happened to her after a while. But, you know, we just kept wondering what she was thinking. And if we ever saw her again, would she, would she take it out on us? Which mm-hmm. to some people it sounds really silly, I know. And sometimes we were thinking that it was really silly because some people say horses don't remember. Mm. But when we saw her for the first time, mm-hmm. when we saw her for the first time, we were standing in a parking lot in the middle mm-hmm. of nowhere in Tennessee. And she had not heard heard our voice for 51 weeks. Mm-hmm. And my and her head was down, her tail was down, and she was being led out by the law, uh, law enforcement officers out of a, a driveway behind the Bronco on a lead line. And she looked broken down and just, you know, there was no spirit in her anymore. And I told my husband, whistle. And this is a whistle she had heard for nine years, mm-hmm. calling her, you know, when whenever he wanted her. And when he whistled that whistle, that head came up and that tail came up, and she elevated on her hooves like she, you know, like she was a hovercraft, mm-hmm. and she started passing the Bronco to get to him. Oh. Now you tell me. Yeah, they remember. They remember. Yeah. And not only that, when we brought her home, we let her loose in the field with the other horses. And when they would go get water, because you heard me say we had streams and everything, well, Idaho was always the lead horse, mm-hmm. taking the other horses to get water through the woods. Mm-hmm. And she walked into the pasture, and the, pa- the, the path to go to the water on that side, you can't see it from where we let her in. There's just a little opening in the woods somewhere, and it's not visible from where we put her into the pasture. But she stood inside the pasture. She looked for, to the left and she looked to the right, and she made a beeline toward that opening. And since it was fall and the leaves were off the tree, we could trees. We could see the horses fall in line and go get water like they always had, in the in the right pecking order. Yeah. So okay. yeah, they well, remember. Yeah, they remember. You know, it's easy to see what inspires you to keep working so hard with perfect strangers. <laughs> I, I, that story would inspire me for many, many years. Debbie, I so appreciate you being on our show to uh, to share some of the stories and uh, and not just have to come on here to, to plea for a, another missing horse. I, I'd love to have you back. I would love to hear a tip from you. You have such, such experience. Would you come back and, and do a, a short program for us? Sure. Just, just let me know when. I will, Debbie. Thank you so much for coming on Horsemanship Radio. Okay. Thank you for having me, Debbie. You bet, Debbie. Our next guest has spanned a wonderful era of horsemanship. After this word from Monty. Hi, I'm Monty Roberts, and I know that I'm transforming the lives of horses globally. You can learn to do it, too on my Equus Online University. There's a new lesson on there each week, all the way from join up to advanced. Watch world's champions give their lessons. Join at MontyRoberts.com. Go to my Equus Online University. You can transform your horse too. Audrey O'Brien Griffin. 
lives the cowgirl life with tenacity, generosity, and passion. Before raising her family, Audrey was a member of the famous Flying Valkyries, a Roman riding group in the 1950s, and also worked in a Wild West show that traveled to Belgium. Her love for equestrian sports led her to team pinning, sorting, and excelling in overall horsemanship altogether. In 2008, Audrey was inducted into the National Cowgirl Hall of Fame. Her competitive nature remains strong today, and she continues to promote the Western lifestyle and a love for horses. Welcome, Audrey O'Brien Griffin. Hi, Debbie. How are you? I'm really good, Audrey. I'm so honored to have you on our show. There's so much about your life that I want to share with people, and I don't even know if we'll get it all in today, so we may have to make this uh, you know, part one and get okay. excited about talking to you again. There's just a, um, a lot of um, our country's history, I think, in your, in your story. I'd love to start off with you telling us what you already did and accomplished this morning. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> I, I can't believe this morning was, uh, I set the alarm for 4.30 and I went out and fed the horses. And uh, I have a friend here, a, a roper friend from uh, Arizona that uh, he brought his motorhome up and he, he likes to ride with me and we have a lot of fun together. But he, um, we... Uh, went to the Bar M Ranch on Jerry Williams' uh, cattle, and we gathered and sorted the the cows off from the calves because he's shipping the calves today. And then that took us uh, a couple hours, and then I drove over to the Weister Ranch, and we gathered two sets of pears there, and sorted, and some of those will be shipped off today. And I got home at 11.30 and had a quick lunch. And uh, and here we are. Now, this afternoon, after I talk to you, I have a 1 o'clock branding to go to. Oh, look at you. In Fox and Canyon across from... Uh, oh, that's a beautiful... Yeah, um, that's a Well, one of the ranches set. there. If anybody knew all the areas she was talking about, they would go... Oh, it's just gorgeous, and what a fun life you have, Audrey. I do. I do. I'm blessed. You are. Uh, one of the things that I shared with our, our listeners before I introduced you was that you were um, named to the National Cowgirl Hall of Fame in 2008, and I love the byline. I'd love you to tell us about it. They say that it's the women who shape the West change the world. How do you respond to that? What does that mean to you? Oh, goodness. I think maybe I, I just, uh, being a Roman writer and traveling all over the United States and Canada and doing what I love to do uh, most, um, I think maybe I added to uh, perhaps a part of that line. But, um, you know, you of course, th- when you're 19 years old, <laughs> you don't think that you're doing anything except just having a, a good time and doing what you want to do. And it was um, a wonderful time for me. Uh, a friend of mine, Mary Settler, uh, came to the stable one day in Culver City, and she said, uh, how would you like to go out on the road with the Flying Valkyries? And I said, 
question. Tell me a little bit about it. <laughs> I didn't think my mother would let me go. But, right. <laughs> but uh, she, uh, you know, after we talked about morals and integrity and all the good things that mother and daughters talk about, they decided to give me their blessings and send me down the road. So Isn't I had that amazing? two wonderful years. Two wonderful years. And you ended up with the Wild West show in Brussels, Belgium. So how old are you then? Yeah, that was uh, in 1958. And uh, that was a, a group that, um, well, Casey Tibbs and Vern Elliott and uh, let's see, her, June and Buster Ivory, they kind oh. of were the ones that kind of handpicked the people that went on that. There was like 60-some-odd cowboys and cowgirls that they invited, and I think 50 Indians. Oh. And we had a fabulous time. We scared, square danced on horseback and did pole bending and barrel races and put on a break. And then Casey, of course, he, he was a big draw over there, and he rode saddle bronc ride, you know. And uh, there was a lot of ropings, and it was just, it was fun. It was a wonderful time of my life. I can't even imagine how fun and free that must have been back in those days, too. I feel like I need to step back one and say, how does a little girl, a city girl from Los Angeles end up being such a horse girl? Well, <laughs> the city girl was born with a country heart. Then my, my mother said, uh, when I was like six months old, on her lap in the car, when I would go by a pony ride, I would go ballistic. And she had this, you know, as soon as I could sit up, she'd let me ride the ponies. And I, I, still, I still feel that way. I just I get so excited when we go for a ride or if I go roping or whatever. It just, uh, I still have that same wonderful excitement. And um, what happened was my father wrote a little bit in his youth. And I was begging him when I was 11 years old, I, I was begging him to take me riding. So he took me over to Sunset Ranch in Culver City, uh, they had 13 acres over there, and it was a, a stable that you could rent horses. So we rented uh, the horses that day, and the gal that went with us, her name was Sis Smith. She was 10, and I was 11. And we hit it off like <laughs> gangbusters, and if it wasn't for Sis, my dearest friend, uh, I wouldn't be where I am today with my horses because she invited me back the next day, Sunday, and she said, come in the morning and don't have your parents pick you up until 5 o'clock in the afternoon. <laughs> yeah, those were the days. <laughs> That's exactly what they did, and that started my friendship with her. And, of course, she's the one that introduced me to Roman riding and and knowing how to tie a bowline and, and uh -huh. just the cowboy, cowgirl, cowboy way of life. I love it. You tie the bolins. You can still tie a bolin with anybody, right? Absolutely. Yeah. Good girl. I love One that. Of my That's favorite perfect. Thoughts. 
It's my favorite not to. It doesn't tighten down all the right reasons. Good. Tell I, I gotta ask you about Casey Tibbs. You dropped a big name in there. You got any secrets on Casey Tibbs? <laughs> that you can that you oh, can tell. I have a, I have a lot of secrets, but I, I wouldn't <laughs> let them pass through my mouth. <laughs> Ooh, so that's he was, intriguing. He was very, Casey was very colorful, and he when I knew him in the fifties, he drove uh, a cotton a, a light lavender continental. He wore purple shirts. He had. A horse that he, a black horse that he did tricks on, that uh, he had purple saddle, purple bridle, purple breast collar. Um, he was the purple king. But Casey, he he was kind of a character. You know, he, when he met you, um, you know, he would, uh, he might have a buzzer in his hand and he might just buzz you, you know. He's just a, a prankster. He's just always pulling pulling tricks. He's oh, just a funny. funny guy. Funny. Most of them, uh, us know him as a, an amazing athlete who um, accomplished so much in the rodeo world. But you, you've ridden lots of disciplines and have really gone the gamut of the Western horsemanship world. What do you and Freckles do now? I know that's your horse. I think we'll use that photo in our show notes. I, my all-around horse. She was a, a horse Gee. that uh, I had her grandmother, I mean her, her mother, and I bred her to Newcash. I bred the mother to Newcash and uh, got Freckles. And Freckles is uh, was my first baby, and uh, Tom Shelley uh, broke her and took her to snaffle bit, so she's really well broke and now I use her, I team rope off of her, and I uh, go to the brandings on her, and I use her to um, team pen, barrel race, uh, pole bending. You know, she's an all-around mare, and she just, she'll go anywhere I ask her to go, in Aww. some places I shouldn't be asking her. <laughs> but she trusts you. <laughs> she trusts me, yeah, too, too much sometimes. Oh, you guys have a lot of fun. Fine once in a while. Yeah. Hey, well, I do I, have a funny story about Casey, though, before oh, we go on to the next one. <laughs> um, Casey, we were, the night before we went to, uh, flew to Europe, um, we were at Glenn and Lynn Randall's house, and they have a daughter by the name of Pudgy that had a white cat. So June Ivory and one of the other Valkyries dyed the cat lavender that night. <laughs> And so, so Pudgy came home and she was so upset. She was storming around the house. And the wonderful part about it is Casey got blamed for it. Oh, perfect. You got, you got even with all the buzzers. I did. I did get even. (laughs) (laughs) Well, you've been around horses your whole life. I think one of the statistics of your life will, will be a surprise to people. When did you own your first horse? Oh my gosh! Would you believe I was fifty years old? Five zero. Uh, I bought a thoroughbred for four hundred dollars off the track. Oh, funny! And he was my first horse, and I I kept him there in um, around Mandeville Canyon area, so I had the Santa Monica Mountains to ride in. But in the from the time, you know, I started riding until I was fifty, 
I rode everybody else's horses. Mm-hmm. And it was nice because I had a lot of different horses to ride. In fact, my friend that's with me now, Bob Kennedy, he, um, I used to ride his rope horse, Banjo, and exercise him for him because he was a framer as a young man and uh, couldn't ride him except to rope off of, you know, at night when he came to the stable. So I would ride that horse every day, plus a lot of other horses that people just wanted me to ride. So I got to ride all different types of horses. Yeah, that's a great way to grow up, and it's a great way to get your first... I think a lot of us can relate to that. There's a lot of us uh, giddy-up-and-go girls who... um, you know, borrow horses or leased horses and don't always have the privilege to own their own horses. So it's good to hear that somebody can grow up with horses their whole life and and not own their first one until they're 50 and still become an amazing, look at you, you're in the Hall of Fame. I know. I'm amazed too. (laughs) And you have a good friend in Bill Reynolds, which I think is an interesting relationship. How did you meet Bill, who is the publisher of Cowboys and Indians? And a lot of people know Bill. Oh, yeah. Bill and Kristen Reynolds are just one of my dearest friends. Uh, They lived in Malibu, and friends of my brother, Doug O'Brien, and um, they were telling Doug that they really wanted to maybe look up in the San Inez Valley for property. And he said, well, my sister Audrey is a real estate agent. She could take care of you. So I met them. And we just hit it off like gangbusters, and I showed them for three years before they bought. Oh. And, you know, my, my the, the white Cadillac that I had at the time went up and down every cow pasture in the San Andreas <laughs> Valley. I, in fact, I had my, my car wash, and I was worried because it didn't. I didn't notice it coming out, and, and I went and asked the manager, and I said, what happened to my car? And he says, well, we put it through a second time because there was a lot of alfalfa on it. <laughs> <laughs> You've been through all the fields, even. <laughs> well, I'm glad they, they gladly finally bought in the San Diego Valley their, their wonderful additions to, uh, to oh, what a forest community. Morning. Did you? Ah, I did. I rode. We gathered cattle this morning. I gathered with her. Well, yeah, our listeners, are, my friends, and I. I just yeah. see them every week. I see them every week. They're amazing, amazing horse people that you have surrounded yourself with, too, Audrey. Um, well, wonderful. Yeah, I know. I I love your story about um, Roy Rogers, and I've heard you tell. But tell <laughs> us, share that story, Roger, Roy Rogers, with us, because that oh. is great era. Well, Roy Rogers was just always my my hero uh, since I was a little kid, and I had the Roy Rogers T-shirts and the the guns and the hat and I mean you name it, everything was Roy Rogers. And um, I think I sent in for a picture, and so Roy or his agent sent me a eight by ten glossy picture that I hung on my wall. And I thought, well, every night, you know, uh, before I said my prayers, I'd always give Roy a kiss and, mm-hmm. and go to bed. And it just felt really good. <laughs> well, after a while, I kissed his lips right off. 
the photo. <laughs> and, you know, I did get to meet Roy several times because he was a dear friend of um, uh, Glenn Randall. And, of course, I did not tell him that story. But when we <laughs> met, he was so cordial and he was just so charming and so warm. And I just thought, oh, my gosh, he's everything I always thought he was. So mm-hmm. it was yeah. it was. Very nice for me. Yeah, great gentleman. And you got to sit on Trigger, did I hear too? Oh, uh, yeah, Corky. Or uh, one of them? Randall's son uh, and Glenn Randall, they both trained all the Triggers. And I believe there were three of them. And the third one uh, was just uh, like a little three-year-old. So they had me uh, ride him one day. So that was that was, that was was really nice. I, I was thrilled that they wanted me, because I was probably... Oh, I was probably 15 or 16 at the time. So it was nice that they trusted me at that age. Yeah, that's right. So what's your, what's your advice to the, the 15-year-old or 16-year-old who wants to run off to Europe and ride in the rodeo or become a, a, a gallivanter with horses these days? Can they well, still do it? I'll tell you, if, if you have an opportunity to do something like that, uh, do it, because it's, it's life-changing. It makes you just feel real good about yourself. And, but just it's very important to um, keep your, um, your morals and your virtues and everything alive and, and uh, just know that the Lord is out there watching you and protecting you. So if you, if you love Him... Um, he will keep you safe. That's wonderful. Well, we appreciate your courage. And, and I think you're probably one of the first women's livers and didn't even know it. But you no, have this independence. No <laughs> didn't know it, but you had that independence. I, I think you really have helped shape the American West, Audrey. And I thank you for sharing that. I wonder if you might um, remember the send-off that you talk about that Roy Rogers used to give. Oh, that's, uh, let's see. Um, oh, yeah, may the yeah. good Lord take a liking to you. Do you love that? I love that. I love that. Oh, yeah. Great <laughs> I use that every once in a while. See, there you go. I love that. I, I figured you'd know it. Yeah, yeah. Well, thank you, Audrey. Thanks again. Um, thanks for the, your life that, that exemplifies what all us horsewomen want to be a part of. Thank you so much, Debbie. I enjoyed uh, our little chat. Welcome back, Ann Lindbergh, with your tip for us. Thank you very much. I got one great tip, and uh, I'm, I'm, I'm not guilty of the whole thing because my dear mentor, Monty Roberts, um, gave me uh, an eye-opener and this is, you know, back in 1998, I think. Uh, but I do, I, you know, I just figured out a tip that people really don't think about. And I always bring this up. This is the beginning of my book, actually. Ah. Monte Roberts say that the horse has a language. And we call the language of the horse, right? Or the language mm-hmm. of echus is what we say. Right. And, and we talk about the four signs. But I've never heard a writing teacher say, now the horse got it because now we got the four signs. Mm. Did you know that every time we lead a horse from, you know, 
point one to point B. The horse mm-hmm. will give you four signs. And when you ride, he will give you four signs. I think that everybody that's been riding in a riding school or for a riding teacher, they have heard the riding teacher say, now you can, um, how do you say it in English? Now you can take the reins. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, how do they know when to take the reins? Mm-hmm. Well, that's very easy because first of all, the horse will walk around and look a little here and a little there and you're chatting along with your riding teacher. And then all of a sudden, the ears will start to, you know, come to you, one each at a time, and then one of the ear will lock on to the riding teacher. And then when you're sitting there and you don't think about it, but you start to move your hands around the reins, then it's like the horse is trying to pull the reins out of your hands. No, they're not. They're actually dropping their head. And then they start to, as the riding teacher say, chewing on the bit, but what they do is lick and chew. So they've actually given you the four signs. And I have never heard a writing teacher say that. And I promise you, before 2020, every writing teacher, at least in Sweden, will say that. Good girl. I like that. Yeah, that is a great tip. It's an interpretation. Yeah, I I love that because we are always talking about what does join up look like in the saddle and what does join up look like for the rest of the horse's life. That's a great interpretation. Love that, Anne. Thank you so much. Thank you. Yeah, we'll have you back when that book comes out. We want to hear more. Absolutely. Uh, I have to do it in English as well, you know. Uh, Yes, please. Yes, (laughs) and thanks to you, I have... You know, not only do I know a lot about horses, well, that's thanks to your father. That's to Monty. Uh, uh, but thanks to you, I know a lot about Internet and what you can you do with e-books and everything. You are doing uh-huh. a super job, Debbie. I'm so proud of you. Uh, and I'm, I'm extremely privileged to be a part of this. Thank you so much, Anne. Thanks so Thank much you. for being a part of the show, too. Thank you. What in the wide, wide world of sports is going on here? Where in the world is Monty Roberts? Monty is looking forward to meeting some new friends, two-legged and four-legged, in... England, March 15, 21, and 29. That's coming right up. And in Germany, April 4, 6, 8, 11, and 13. He's going to be busy that week. And then on May 31, we have a night of inspiration with Monty and Pat, my mother, at Flagazette Farms in Solvang, California. And it's limited on space, so book early. We've got some contacts we'll put in the show notes for you. But call 805-688-6288 for reservations. And the next day, we have a, a bucket list item, really, night of inspiration coupled with life lessons workshop at Flagazette Farms. You'll spend the day going through The Man Who Listens to Horses and extrapolating uh, life lessons from that book in your own life. And it's a lot of fun. We have Dr. Sue King coming out from Chicago to facilitate that. And, of course, Monty telling his stories. And then August 4 through 8, we have a Monty special training. It's my favorite week of the year. It's better than Christmas at Flagazette Farms. And that's his week working with all kinds of horses. It's just a lot of fun. Call 805-688-6288. You can see more at MontyRoberts.com. Or you can find Monty's calendar by calling 805-688-6288. 
That really is Christmas in August, the Monty Roberts Special Training Clinic at Flag is Up Farms. And I think that's appropriate because there are no holidays in August. August sucks. So go to Monty Roberts Special Training Clinic. That's right. You need a Christmas present by that time of year. And uh, yeah, and it's been a great show. Fascinating stuff. Interesting characters. And Mm. uh, yeah, now I need to think up which movie star who loves horses that I would want to meet because I really envy Audrey Mm. having met uh, Roy Rogers. That's so cool. It gave me goosebumps. Exactly. Yeah. (laughs) Wasn't that cool? That was just so cool. So for details about today's show. You can go to HorsemanshipRadio.com, where we'll have links and photos and information about our lovely guests. And we love to hear your feedback. So go to Facebook. Mm -hmm. Go to Facebook to search Monty Roberts in the top. And you could also find Monty on Twitter at hashtag Monty underscore Roberts. And you can tweet him, and I'm sure he'll tweet back. And many thanks to our sponsors as well. Yes, and be sure to visit all the other great shows on Horse Radio Network at www.horseradionetwork.com. Until next time, have many happy horse hours. <laughs> <laughs>